Hey everyone, this is Chad, CEO of Mission.org, and you are listening to Mission Daily. In today's episode, I sit down with Kristen Sevilla. Kristen is the CEO of JOR. She started her career at Macy's as a buyer, and she rose all the way to a company called The Knot, where she became CEO. And after that, she got into JOR, which is a fascinating company. So if you're interested in supply chains and the wholesale selling and buying process, This is a massive industry and you'll want to stay tuned. So this process right now is antiquated to say the least. Kristen and her team are going through the process of making it digital and bringing upstream transparency to both the brands and the retailers in this industry. So Jor right now processes about a billion dollars a month of transactions in this space and they are poised to do so much more. Jor has clients ranging from Neiman Marcus to Kate Spade and Balenciaga, among many others. Their focus is the simplification of that wholesale process, and this is making shopping better for everyone. Jor is based in New York City with offices in LA, Philadelphia, London, Madrid, Milan, Paris, and Melbourne. This is a great episode, and you'll hear what it takes to be a leader in the world of fashion and tech. Stay tuned. Time to pay the creatives and media makers at Mission. We couldn't do it without a world-class sponsor and ally whose services we use, Trinet. As a business owner, you can't be afraid to outsource what you're not good at. I'm a creative who gets paid to talk, but there is a lot I'm not good at, like complex HR issues. That's why I outsource my HR challenges to the experts at Trinet. Their experts in software help us at Mission with payroll, benefits, compliance, and more. And Trinet offers full-service HR solutions tailored to your industry. Whether your team is 10 people or 1,000, Trinet has you covered. Help support Mission Daily and check out Trinet for your HR needs today. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Chad. So you're calling in from New York, and we were talking earlier. There's a lot going on in the world. I was hoping to get your take on why this is such a tough time, but also such an opportunistic time for Jor and maybe the state of preparedness at large. Right. So obviously with the virus limiting travel, we learned last week and for the Paris fashion market that a lot of folks had canceled travel for clear reasons. And about 75% of that industry, which is luxury fashion, uses Jor as a usually a digital showroom tool for in-showroom. But in this particular case, we've always had in our suite a product called the virtual showroom. And we were able to quickly get people up and running on the virtual showrooms for the, for the week, which really allowed for business continuity. And as you and I were discussing, as terrible as the situation is that's creating this, the preparedness that's coming out of this is actually a good thing for the industry. They have definitely been fighting digital for too long with a, with a strong focus on consumer technology. So it is good for them to recognize the value of digital in the wholesale industry. So for someone listening who is maybe another CEO or C-level executive or aspiring up and coming team member in technology or in the digital space, how do you describe JOR and what does it do? 
Sure. Jura is the world's industry standard wholesale management platform for fashion, beauty, and home. We transact on average $1 billion plus per month in gross merchandise volume, which is a reflection of the orders that are being written on the platform. We've been at this for 10 years. We are lucky to count as customers over 8,600 brands and 200,000 retailers, not only specialty retailers, but large enterprise clients like a Neiman Marcus or a Print Tomps or a Shopbop utilize Drawer as well. And essentially what we've done is we've led the digital transformation of wholesale. So the process used to be, is if you don't use Drawer, that you use paper line sheets and pen and paper and you literally carbon copy paper and you write orders the old-fashioned way at these events. And what we've turned that into is a digital experience via iPads and desktop and the cloud and allow for all of this to happen in a very digital shopping-like environment that leads to a lot of value for both brands and retailers. Kristen, that's really impressive. And you're doing things at a large scale now. I was wondering if we could back it up for a second and just hear about, you know, where are you from and what are your origins? Sure. So I most recently came from a company called The Knot. The parent company there was Exo Group. I was actually at that company for 12 years. I saw a lot of change there. But our goal and mission at The Knot was really where we led the digital transformation of the wedding planning process. So when you think about that process of getting married and planning your wedding, it used to be very, very antiquated and offline. You would really have to visit a lot of different venues to find the right one, a lot of florists, listen to a lot of musicians, and all this involved going to these venues and and listening to these musicians. And really, you weren't pre-matched. So in a lot of cases, it was turned into a digital experience, a marketplace that allowed for upstream data transparency. So we pre-matched people, which really was enabled them to limit the amount of visits they needed to make and really was a better use of time for both the venues and the florists, et cetera, because they knew that the couples coming in the door a, could afford them, had a similar style, and them knowing what the couples wanted enabled them to make a better presentation in obviously the sales pitch of closing those clients. If I take that to what I'm doing today, it's very similar, digital transformation, antiquated process. But layer into that, I started my career at Macy's. So I actually understand this industry very, very deeply. I was a buyer there for about eight years and I was the one using paper line sheets, Excel spreadsheets to try and do this assortment planning process. And it was very difficult. So when I was approached by the board of JOR to join as CEO a little over three years ago, I was very excited about the fact that, hey, this digital transformation thing, I've kind of done this elsewhere. I know what that takes. That's a skill set I felt that I could bring. But even more exciting to me was coming back to an industry that I knew very well. I think that that learning curve was not super steep, obviously, in understanding how, how this industry works. Sure. And with all of your experiences there, are there any big takeaways or are there a couple lessons learned that you took away from seeing things at the ground level of retail that you feel like serve you very well now? Yeah. I mean, I was surprised when I actually was entering back into the space and realized that the industry had not changed. So when I was re-approached to join this industry back in the end of 2016, and I approached folks and said, all right, guys, 
you know, how are you buying today? I was really surprised to hear that it was exactly the same way as I bought back in the 90s. So I think what I was able to bring was a deep understanding that that process was really difficult. And, you know, when I speak to people even today, brands and retailers understand that I get it. I absolutely know the pain points that they're experiencing. So when I talk, it doesn't feel like a sales pitch, right? It feels like what it actually is meant to be, which is an authentic discussion that says, what you're doing is difficult. This is such a better way of doing this. Let me show you why. Very cool. And the why questions, if you can answer those, you're uh, kind of the the one, the, the linchpin in the industry. It's very exciting. As you are a linchpin, you have so much experience, and now you're the CEO of JOR. If we look at the news, you know, do you see what the news sees when they see a bleak future for the retail industry? What do you see for the future of that industry? Look, they've been saying for as long as I've been in this role, retail's dead. And I'm going to steal this quote from someone else. I'm a true believer in that. You know, when you look at the industry, people are surprised to hear that 80% of this is actually still offline. And the winning combination that we've learned from the consumer side of the business that's very simple is that omni-channel is, in fact, the way. You need to be wherever your customers are and you need to be exciting. <laughs> so, you know, you look at brick and mortar stores who needed to go digital. And then more recently is this trend of pure play digital players who thought they could survive as just digital players, but they then realized, wow, these acquisition costs are actually way too high. And they all started opening stores and then take it a step further because I'm seeing it firsthand. They're like, oh, wait, why are we opening our own stores? Why don't we do this thing called wholesale and go into stores that already have customers? So (laughs) it's sort of like we've come full circle on this, but I'm a firm believer. It has to get right-sized for sure. There are some companies that have too many stores, definitely. But the concept of brick and mortar is actually, when done correctly, stronger than ever. And it's a need. There's a need in this industry to have the balance between digital and the ability to have a great experience. Yeah, I think the great experience, that's crucial at any level of any industry. When it comes to accomplishments, are there anything at any stories or any instances at JOR that you're particularly proud of? Yeah, for JOR, I mean, I walked into a company that needed to prepare for scale. And the number one most important thing when you're looking at you know, this infrastructure and future and scale really does come down to people. And I had the good fortune of walking into a company that was very small with the ability to build it out for scale. So when I joined JOR, there were about 50 employees, a little bit less. And today JOR has close to 140 employees. Part of that was that I got to build out the technology team. We are, after all, a technology company. And diversity and inclusion were two things that were very important to me and to my company before they became the buzzwords they are today. And starting from scratch, we were really able to build the diverse and inclusive team that we were looking to do. And what I'm proud to tout today is that uh, my engineering department, my technology department, has a 33% of it is female, actually, which is well above industry's norms for technology. So I'm, I am Definitely. probably most proud of the people we've hired, but the fact that we've been diverse and inclusive in the process. Yeah, well above where I'm based, which is Silicon Valley. That's exciting as well. And when it comes to things that keep you up at night, whether you're awake thinking about the business or challenges in the industry, is there anything there that you find yourself thinking about again and again? Yeah, I mean, I think 
you know, one of the things I've learned as CEO is that your most important thing is to keep everybody focused. And the worst thing you can do is spread you and the company too thin, where you lose what you're meant to be and who you are. So I find that what keeps me up at night is actually determining what we should not do. <laughs> There's just so many opportunities out there of exciting people who want to integrate with JOR or ways and paths that JOR can take. And deciding what to do is just a lot easier than deciding what not to do, I think, in many ways. And that's probably where I spend a lot of my time. How do I keep the team focused, myself focused? And how do I get the strength to walk away from opportunities, even though some of them could be cool, but take us away from what our core mission is? Was that something you had to learn the hard way early on in your career? Or how did you come to that realization and that lesson? Definitely. I can go back to my days at The Knot. You know, I was many roles there. I kind of grew up at The Knot, to be transparent. I, I joined in 2005 and was there for 12 years. And I remember being president at The Knot and really getting excited by opportunities. And probably I, I can remember a time where I, I overloaded the team. I sort of took too many of these as sort of a trial basis. And you think, oh, it's just a trial. It's not going to take time. But like the lesson is, Everything takes time. Even if you think it impacts one department and you're trying something, it's actually not true. It impacts a lot of departments. So you have to be selective. And I'm not saying don't try. That's absolutely what has to happen. So culture is something that is at the forefront of everyone's minds. And it's definitely a buzzword. But when it comes to moving past the buzzword sense of culture, how are you thinking about it? And what is the culture like at your yeah, I mean, culture to me is, means who are aligned to your company's mission. And, you know, that's core to me for any strong culture. At JOR, I think that if you were asking my team what was most loved about JOR, it's that we really do work on two things, which is transparency and authenticity. I'm pretty direct with my team. I'm as transparent as a private company can be because I want them in the mission. I think that the mistake a lot of leaders make is they miss the why, as we were talking about earlier when it comes to customers, and they just sort of say, let's do. And I think that that makes people feel spoken to rather than part of. And that's a big miss for a why to provide the why there too, and to be transparent as to pivots we may make, changes we may make, ideas is we may drop. My other thing about having to drop, that that I think is core to Jordan. Kristen, for any executive that is aspiring to potentially become a C-level exec or found their own company, are there any pieces of advice that you find yourself giving again and again? I do. And I'm pretty consistent with my advice to actually all levels, but, but executives in particular. You know, I, I alluded to this earlier, but you need to stay focused. I mean, there are so many distractions that can take you off your path, but you've got to stay true to the mission and the problem that you're solving. I do think the biggest mistake that C-level and CEOs make is spreading their companies too thin with too many objectives. And that's when the company tends to lose its identity and it really ends up standing for nothing. But with that, my second point I always try to make is stay flexible. You know, your original mission may change as you mature in your work and, you know, lessons from the industry may change your point of view on how to solve that particular problem. So I always encourage folks to be open to the possibility. Being decisive is really important. You know, long decision making does lead to lost opportunities. And, you know, I've always viewed that decisions are not usually permanent. 
And my motto has always been make the decision, move forward, and then iterate it if it's wrong. Don't sit in analysis paralysis. Move your company forward and make the best decision you can make in that moment. I love that. And especially for any comeback situation or for companies that are struggling to kind of embrace the digital transformation and get that omni-channel approach going. I think that's just yeah, sage advice. So Kristen, when you are thinking about strategy and time management and being productive, are there any tips you have for planning your day, planning your week that you found really work well for you? Yeah, I mean, I do. I am that person that always tries to clear my morning a little bit for the first hour and as best I can my afternoon for the last hour because so much happens in the middle that if you don't regroup and get your thoughts pulled together, I think it's hard to even get to that next day. So it's not 100%, but I try really hard to keep those things. that They're actually blockers on my calendar. Not because I'm leaving early. It's quite the opposite. You got you as CEO got to bring all this together and you got to come up with the next steps. And I use those mornings and evenings to do that. Hey, everybody. We're taking a time out to thank Trinet for sponsoring independent media like Mission Daily. If there's one thing I am about, and in fact, one thing the whole mission team is about, you know that it's accelerated learning. One of the ways I do that is by learning from the best. When it comes to learning about HR, the team and resources Trinet provides are my go-to source. I got started with some of Trinet's free e-guides at trinet.com e-guide. You can too. It's never been easier to get briefed on how to outsource your HR, grow and scale effectively, offer the benefits that matter to your team, and win the war for talent. Start learning from the best and get one of Trinet's free e-guides at trinet.com e-guide. Thanks, Trinet, for sponsoring Mission Daily. When it comes to time outside of those mornings and evenings, when you're outside of work, unplugging, I'm curious, how are you approaching work-life balance? Are you a fan of just complete integration or how are you kind of getting the mental headspace you need to recharge? Yeah, I think work-life balance as a working mom or working dad is super important to keep yourself fresh. I mean, I am a mom. I have a wonderful husband and four children. So I, I will stand here and tell you it is not easy. <laughs> you know, I've always had children pretty much from a lot of my career anyway. Now that my oldest is 21 and will be graduating college this year, my youngest is seven. So I'm kind of all over the map with uh, activities. But I treat the company, you know, when you're a CEO, the company is another child. It really just is. <laughs> and I treat it as one of my five. And I, I've always been, which one needs me the most in the moment is kind of where I put my attention. Right. I think the most important thing to work-life balance is the team that you hire beneath you. You need that ability so that you're not feeling like you have to be present 24-7, you know, and the only one who can solve problems. And I really, at JOR, have worked hard to hire a fantastic leadership team beneath me, and that enables for that balance. If I have to leave and I want to go to my kid's school play and be there for any special event for my children, I do feel I can do that because I have folks here. And on the other side, I think it's really important you have a partner that at home that allows you to have that balance as well so that when you go to the office and work the overtime and the extra, you know that someone at home is there for the children and keeping that business, so to speak, operating as well. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Are there any tips that you have for keeping the partnership at home aligned on the same page 
like, because I know information sharing is so exhausting. You don't want to have to re-narrate every point of your life or your business life. How do you go about keeping that relationship on the right track? It's so funny. Similar to how I told you I run the office with that hour in the morning and hour at night, you know, with four children doing di- very different things. My husband and I run a similar task of, of communication. Obviously, we, we have social stuff in between that and dinner and all that stuff, but we do try to check in mornings and evenings on kind of what's the week look like, who has to travel where, what's the next day, who's doing what with which child. I mean, you do have to run it a little bit like a business in order for it to be effective when both of you are working and you have children who have needs. Yeah. And I think that, you know, remembering the importance of all those things, uh, you just outlined a, a great strategy to do that. So Kristen, when you are, excuse me, when you are hiring or when you're thinking about hiring, how do you approach that process? And are, is there anything like that, maybe top three things that you look for in new candidates? Yeah. I mean, we have a rigorous hiring process here at Shore. We get actually good marks on it. We really, we want the match, not just, you know, question one, are you a match for us? But just as important to us is, are we a match for you? So in that process, we are always asking people what they're looking for, because if they're looking for something that Jor can't provide or just doesn't feel like a fit, we don't really want to pursue that candidate. We believe strongly in sort of that it has to be mutual for both parties. That's the most important thing that we look for. Next, I would say, obviously, then it gets down to the normal stuff, the qualification for the role. Not only have they done a role like this, it's more important, can they do a role like this, right? Does their background prepare them for this step? Because a lot of cases, you're promoting people for a new position that maybe they haven't held, which I love to do because I think they bring a diverse background to that. So I look for and ask questions that are trying to inquire how they've handled past situations or past ways of doing their current job. And in my mind, do I see that as applying to the new position? Plus, we have culture, we have fit. Sure. And when it comes to digital productivity, are there any apps that you love for whether it's collaboration or, yeah, I'm just curious, what are you using on a day-to-day basis, whether it's on your phone or laptop? Yeah, I mean, I use the drawer app the most, but anyway, on there, that's, that's, my, that's the truth, actually, that we are an app. But personally, I mean, I'm not a heavy, heavy user. I mean, I use the Global Entry app because I'm always traveling has been a dream for me, but that's more about convenience of, you know, on the plane preparing for re-entry into the country and being able to, to <laughs> cut the line. I'm actually hesitant to share that one. I don't want too many people using it. <laughs> But the other one I use a lot is the is any type of scanning apps that allow me to honestly, from my personal and professional life, sign documents quickly and get those documents, whether it's to my student's teacher so that he can go on a field trip or to a contract that I need to sign quickly. So those are sort of the type of apps that I use the most. Gotcha. So for young people out there, it can feel kind of daunting, right? We With everything going on in the world... It feels like there's just a lot to comprehend, a lot to learn. It can feel like rising up any industry is near, nearly impossible in the early stages. Are there any stories you have about, you know, you've, you've seen things now and you have a lot of experience. Are there any stories you have about how maybe patience is key or any advice for people that are in that, you know, right on the verge of impatience? Yeah, I think that one of the things that I learned early and that I really want this generation to understand is that I tell my own children all the time is that you're not actually supposed to know what you want to be 
in college or when you get out of college. Like I don't yeah. ever remember a time where I was at college or graduating and working in, a, in the Macy's executive pre- training program saying, I am going to be a CEO of a technology company. Like if right. I had said that, I mean, I was a history major at Dartmouth. If I had said that to my professors at the time or even at Macy's as my first job, I think that anybody would have been, believed me. And I honestly did not have that in my realm of thought at all. For me, I think you have to not be afraid to take each experience and in some ways not look too far ahead. And as long as you can learn something and you're being challenged and honestly you're being valued, I don't think anybody would have predicted me in this place if they had looked at my career history. I started in the executive, I was a history major. I started in the executive training program. I was in the broader registry space for 12 years. I mean, none of it would have pointed here yet because I took challenges and took each opportunity as a learning experience. I learned technology 10 years ago in the wedding space. I I took each challenge as a learning experience to round the other path to get me to where I am today. So, you know, take the pressure off of knowing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. I think that's fascinating. And what strikes me about that is very similar to the career and kind of trajectory of many great CEOs where they're not just specialized. They've done so many different things that they have this, you know, market basket of experiences and this true diversity of experiences and connections where that's a, you know, you're a monopoly of one at that point where there's not any other CEO who's been through all those different nuanced careers and learnings. So Yeah, I think the meandering path is really, really underrated at this point. I look at my two children in college who I sometimes see pressure themselves to figure out what they're going to be. And I give them the same advice I just said on this this podcast. You don't need to know exactly what you're going to be. Perfect. Yeah. And that's reassuring to say the least. So when it comes to business at large, are there any trends outside of the digital transformation that you think are very impactful or maybe are there any underrated trends that you see from your unique vantage point that you don't think enough people are paying attention to? Yeah. I mean, I think data, everyone does pay attention to data, but data in our space, I think is underrated. You know, when I look at Jor, I think I opened and told you that we're doing $1 billion per month in gross merchandise volume. Read that as $1 billion per month of data on Jor's platform. Right. Um, nobody, and Jor hopes to do this soon, is really taking that data and putting it in a useful way and format to allow for better decision-making in our industry. It's definitely a big miss. And I've seen a pendulum swing being in the industry as long as I have, going back to the 90s when I started. And then the pendulum swung to pure data, but I would call it not even the right data, but pure data without the human element. And I'll stand here and tell you that was a mistake. And where the pendulum belongs is what Jor is doing and working towards, which is informing decision-making, giving data in the right moment at the moment that you're making these decisions, not in a separate portal, not elsewhere, but you know, in the moment and really utilizing the machine learning of today, the AI technologies of today, how do you layer that on all this information and really not tell the person what to do because there is an instinct there of a merchant that I believe in, but inform and guide that they can make the best decisions of which products to put in stores as an example. I think not enough attention is there and it's a miss in our industry. There are so many myths, I feel like, in in every industry. Just to go a little bit deeper on that, are there any other myths that you see in the retail space where 
you know, you've been kind of banging on the table for years and still haven't been able to catch people's attention about? Yeah, I, it's just that they aren't focusing on the B2B side of their business. They're completely consumed with consumer, which is the touch point that they see the most and that obviously drives their sales, but they're spending no time on the B2B, which is where the decisions are made in the first place. That is what I have been, if you read articles on me, <laughs> that is what the drum that I've been banging for the three years that I've been here. This current corona environment is putting the attention there. And again, where we open is the only positive I see coming out of this. People are recognizing, wait a minute, this digital experience is so much better than pen and paper. And look at all this data and information I have to make these decisions better and to get this information more quickly. That has been the myth that you should only be focusing on the consumer needs to stop. Right. You need to right. focus on the supply chain, particularly in relation to where decisions are being made. Right. And when it comes to learning and business, are there any sources that you rely on on a daily basis or a weekly basis? And I'm curious, is it email newsletters, podcasts, books? Uh, where are you All of at? those. Yeah. I'm not a book reader, transparently. As a mother of four, commuting and working. I just don't have time for the book. I'm a big article reader, podcasts for sure. I belong to a founders group a couple of them actually, which I find very valuable where you can really just sort of share and ask the tough questions and get, get the real authentic answers. Those are sort of the ways where I get my information. So I'm a reader for sure, but it's in smaller article type chunks as opposed to books. Right. And when it comes to those founders groups, so this is something that I put off for a long time and I've kind of embraced it and I'm, you know, obviously kicking myself for not doing it sooner, but what was it that got you involved in those groups and how have they helped you specifically? Yeah. What initially got me involved was honestly, I, as a CEO, it's a very isolated position. And when I went from a president at my last company where I was number two, people who have been through the exact same experience, albeit different industries, I found to be particularly helpful and continue to find to be helpful. You can just really ask the tough questions and get the authentic answers. There's no agenda. There's no concern. It's just really strong, authentic conversations. Yeah, I think authentic conversations, they're the future of business learning for sure. There are so many different people that we either run into or hear about that listen to this that are in the business world. And it seems like these, you know, this dialogue form or interview-based form of information sharing is going to be the future of, you know, things outside the business school and kind of like continuing education. When it comes to continuing education inside your what type of things do you advocate for your team and employees? Is it, you know, an MBA in some cases or in other cases, is it a coding boot camp? What type of things are you advocating for? Right. So I personally don't have an MBA. I always say that I got my MBA on the job, but if someone it. wants it, of course, fine. <laughs> I'm not something that I, that I personally did. Definitely on the coding front, we definitely encourage and, and, and allow for subscriptions to certain types of things so that they can be learning. Continued learning is super important at JOR and we will fund those types of things, but not necessarily in the classroom per se. It's more about different paths that, you know, virtual paths, I guess we'll call them, sure. that you sure. can do and that we'll encourage. So speaking of paths, what path do you see JOR on right now? And can you kind of paint a picture of what the retail space could look like as Jor becomes more successful in the world? Yeah, I mean, Jor's mission is about bringing wholesale together in one digital ecosystem, breaking down the silos of our industry. Uh, we really have this approach of 
we're better together and no brand or retail left behind. I'm hoping that the events of today kickstart this concept of a focus on B2B and digital transformation in this part of the space. Everybody has digital trans- digitally transformed the consumer side, and that should continue. But this part of the space needing that transformation. So I'm looking at a place in five years where every brand and retailer is digital and using digital and using data to make for a smoother, smarter wholesale process. That's what we're looking for. And we're looking to be at the center of. I love it. And Kristen, final thoughts that you would leave our listeners with, whether it's a call to action or maybe the ultimate catch-all advice that you sometimes share. What do you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I'm going to stay, go back to what I said earlier on the podcast, because it really is, I think, the best advice I've ever given. But, you know, stay focused, stay flexible and be decisive. Wise words. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. And to everyone listening, we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks a lot, Chad. As the founder of a growing media business, there are two things I need. Less worry, please, and more confidence. It wasn't until I got confident about outsourcing my HR to Trinet that I was able to reduce my worry. Once I reduced my worries about HR compliance, I was able to sleep better, literally. If you want to get more confident with HR, check out Trinet today. Your team deserves a leader who isn't worried about stuff they should be outsourcing to the professionals. Now, I outsource my HR challenges to the professionals at Trinet, and I couldn't be happier. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.